This is Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back, everyone. This week, our your normal host, uh, Matt Brusky, is actually out bike racing uh, in central Illinois with uh, with his sons, and so is unavailable. Little post Memorial Day vacation, uh, but as usual, we have. Uh, Rebecca Lynch, the political director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And as a special guest, we have State Senator Chris Larson, a hey. great friend of Citizen Action of Wisconsin and of Battleground Wisconsin. Happy to be back. Hey. <laughs> and this is Robert Craig, executive director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And so we have a packed agenda this week, uh, despite Matt's absence. And uh, one thing I want to run by both you, Rebecca and Chris, at the beginning is, is that we at Citizen National Wisconsin did a did some uh, press release uh, earlier this week uh, about Governor Walker and health care. So both of you may recall that in Governor Walker's state of the state, he suddenly was sort of a friend of the Affordable Care Act. He said he was going to put uh, uh, big money into a complicated reinsurance program, which is a corporate subsidy to health insurance companies to lower premiums so we can stabilize the Affordable Care Act marketplace where people don't have good insurance at work or small businesses can go buy insurance. And uh, so he, he changed, kind of changed his, uh, his tone dramatically leading into this election year, an election year in which because of the resistance to Trump care, health care is one of the top, if not the top issues. So we were kind of, you know, we pointed out at the time uh, that it was odd to do it through a corporate subsidy uh, to health insurance companies, but in addition, it was odd to see Walker talking about stabilizing the Affordable Care Act after all these years of sabotage. And then lo and behold, yesterday, or it was actually Wednesday, excuse me, uh, his office of the insurance commissioner uh, decided to use authority given by the Trump administration to extend until the end of 2019 the sale of substandard lemon plans that don't meet any Affordable Care Act standards, that allow pre-existing addition discrimination, allow not covering of, of a lot of essential benefits, allow uh, people's coverage not to be renewed, to be denied in the first place, all of the discrimination and things that were outlawed by the Affordable Care Act. And worse than that, not only is it really dangerous health care, skims off healthy people and makes health care more expensive for everyone else in the marketplace, so more sabotage. So. Does it surprise you that Walker would try to change his health care positioning in the election year, but then his administration continues with the sabotage program? It doesn't surprise me. How about you, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. I think this is, a, this is a governor from the beginning, right? He staked, like a lot of the Republicans staked their future on going after um, the Affordable Care Act and saying we're gonna, they're going to repeal it, repeal it. And after they realized that was a loser, they said they were going to repeal and replace it. But they never had a plan, and that's pretty clear. Um, now that they control all levers of government at the federal level, and they have nothing to replace it with. So what they do is they continue to sabotage it. Wisconsin's been at the forefront of this, which is why our cost of health care is higher for just about anybody in the state. And that's anybody who's on... Forefront of sabotage. Right, because of, because of this, because of what they've done. And I think if you look at the major problems of what Governor Walker has... It's the things that are catching up to him, his huge cuts to education, his sabotage of health care, and how he's been dragging back our state's economy. So he's trying to correct all of these because it is an election year and he's vulnerable on it. But, uh, yeah, this isn't uh, – people are paying attention, and uh, he may show up in the – in the ninth inning, but uh, we're, we're down quite a few runs. I don't think he's going to make it up 
And I think you were referencing the governor's sudden increase in, in education spending in his last budget, which didn't make up for the previous massive cuts, but right. repositioned him as a, a friend of education right. uh, as he tries to seek a third term. Now, on health care, what's interesting, because we're going to talk about the economy as well, is, is that one of the things the Affordable Care Act hoped to do is to get the insurance industry out of the mode that the best way to make profits is to only insure healthy people and to throw people who have any health conditions or people who are older to the side of the road. And what Walker allowing the substandard lemon plans to be sold does is it allows the insurance company to find healthy people to sell substandard insurance and just make more profit off of them mm-hmm. and, to, and to then charge huge rates to people who have health conditions uh, to, in, the, in the regular marketplace. And so the only people who benefit from, from that, which is true of many of Walker's policies, are health insurance companies that still want to practice a business model that says that we're going to profit off healthy people and we're, and we're not going to ta- take care of sick people at all. Robert, what was the reaction that you got um, to, you know, the response that you put out after the Walker administration's action on Wednesday? You know, I'm curious to hear generally, but also uh, in particular, was there any um, notable reaction from any of the Democratic gubernatorial candidates or not yet? Not yet. There's crickets from Walker and the right wing infrastructure. We'll talk about the right wing infrastructure. Very well funded to respond to everything. Yet they probably don't want to the Walker people don't want to call attention to it. Um I will say this about the Democrats. Uh, we make clear in our release that not only do we need to be concerned about Walker's health policies, which are positively dangerous uh, for people's health, uh, but we need to have an alternative, a clear alternative. And the Badger public option proposal, um, uh, eight of the nine leading Democratic candidates are running on that. And that's something that was developed uh, by members of Citizen Action Wisconsin's co-op with a co-op member, nice. State Representative Eric Genrich up in Green Bay, who's nice. now running for mayor. And so this again says that the only way you can actually uh, start moving towards universal health care, Medicare for all, is to start expanding the public system. Batch care is a great program. Why not allow anyone to buy it at, into it at cost? It would be a little below 40% cheaper than corporate health insurance. You know, it's a fascinating juxtaposition in healthcare news this week because I think just yesterday or this morning, Virginia became, I think, the 33rd state to, under the ACA, expand Medicaid. I think they're expanding it to something like 400,000 low-income people. And, you know, on the radio this morning, I, I forgive me, I can't remember which elected official it was in Virginia, but someone said, you know, this is a direct result of people showing up to the polls in the last election. And I think to your point on Walker trying to, uh, adjust in his state of the state um, because it's an election year. Healthcare is just like such a visceral issue for voters. And I think the GOP is hoping that that's died down since last year, since, you know, the Trump administration is somewhat laying low. But I I just don't see that that people are going to vote on healthcare and they're going to vote on education more than anything else, I think. And listeners may recall that the uh, uh, lower house in Virginia is Republican by one vote because they had a coin flip for one race. That was all in the news. But a number of Republicans crossed over and did this. Not something you're seeing in Walker's Wisconsin right now, but it tells you that even Republicans who have seen this as a defining issue, what defines a conservative, are now switching sides. Yeah, and that's and just to be clear, we're the only state in the Midwest that has not accepted the uh, Medicaid expansion. So, you know, states like um, states like Iowa, Michigan, they've done Indiana. it. Indiana, right? They've done it because they realize there's funds that come in. This this uh, makes it 
uh, for a healthier population. It makes her more affordable for everybody. And uh, Walker is one of the last ones clinging to his ideology over practicality. And what we're the ones who have to pay for uh, for higher premiums, higher copays, and uh, lower cost or lower uh, lower health. So that's not the only thing we have to pay for because of Governor Walker. Um, <laughs> Great segue. Speaking <laughs> of that, there's more Foxconn news this week. Foxconn, the $4 billion and growing. Though I heard one conservative pundit attacking Democrats by saying, why can't they get straight how expensive it is? Now they said it was $3 billion. I say it's $4 billion. Yeah, because we're finding out what's really in this deal. Right. But what did we learn this week about Foxconn? Go ahead, Chris. No, that you, you, you get it. I mean, a couple different things. You know, we should start with um, what's happening in regards to eminent domain. Um, so last night, um, many Citizen Action members will know, um, we had, through the Wisconsin's Choice Project around the governor's race, a gubernatorial forum for Wisconsin's Choice participating candidates. I think all seven, um, that seven showed up last night in Racine. And we had a number of local Racine folks ask uh, very poignant questions about the experience of being a Wisconsinite living in Racine. And the first question came from Kim Mahoney, who is a homeowner um, living in Racine County in Mount Pleasant, who is in the process of essentially being evicted by eminent domain. Uh, you might remember her um, from past podcasts or news articles. Also, I think uh, candidate Kelda Roy's did a video with her recently but she and her husband spent something like nine years designing and building their dream home. They only just moved in in February, and now they're being forced to move. And when they told their 12-year-old daughter, she burst into tears. So um, they're trying to take legal action. I don't know, Robert, if you had anything you wanted to say about that. But there's, um, there's a second Foxconn thing as well. Well, there was that. And so the, they, w they were denied at the first stage of federal court, but they're, they're appealing. Uh, but then, uh, Chris, I believe there's more on the environmental impact of Foxconn, which, of course, was barely discussed uh, at, during the actual rollout of the, of the Foxconn deal. Are you talking about the EPA ruling or are you talking about the, uh, the, the lawsuit that might be brought? Both, but you can just choose. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the first one is, of course, the uh, Scott Pruitt's EPA decided that without any new data coming in, without new information, that they were not going to enforce uh, the smog uh, that they were that they, they were going to relieve Racine from having to reduce the smog. Um, and that's the first thing, and then the second thing is, uh, it looks like there's going to be a lawsuit saying challenging that because of the impacts uh, not on the air but on the water. So there's going to be a challenge to uh, the Great Lakes Water Compact and what Foxconn is going to be using because right now it's projected that they're going to be using seven million gallons of water a day, and uh, that's. And yeah, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have a huge impact on our lake. And on top of all of that, we'll talk about in the next segment, no one's buying that this is going to help the economy of most of Wisconsin. Uh, but we have to go to break now. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, this is Robert Craig from Citizen Action of Wisconsin. I'm joined by Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. And uh, Chris Larson, the state senator from the Milwaukee area, lives in Bayview hey. neighborhood. Special celebrity guest. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Matt Brusky, our normal host, is on vacation. So uh, we were talking about Foxconn and it taking homes away from people, its ongoing environmental consequences, the Trump administration's shocking aiding and abetting mm -hmm. of the environmental damage mm -hmm. uh, that Senator Larson which it was laying out in the last segment. Uh, but this brings us to a broader kind of economic issue. Uh, there's a lot of doubling down right now 
on the narrative that the problem of the economy is is that the poor job creators uh, just don't have enough workers. And we just don't have workers. And we had, and there are a number of different stories that came out this, uh, this week. It's, it's a constant drumbeat that it's the workers' fault. The workers just don't have the skills they need. Uh, we'll leave aside the question of whether Governor Walker can sort of have any way to address that, even if that was our biggest economic challenge. But we had an editorial from Senator Ron Johnson in the Wisconsin State Journal, which trumpeted the headline, Ron Johnson sends strong message to Trump, Wisconsin needs more workers. So is this sound sort of like when Governor Walker spent, was it $7 million, right. Senator, on ads directed to white millennials in the, in the, in the, in in the most prosperous areas of Chicago, avoiding the mass transit that went into the Latino and African-American areas and coasters and cool bars and other things, right. telling people they'd have a lot more fun living in the Foxconn compound right. uh, around suburban Racine. Well, what you're seeing, yeah, I mean, what yeah. you're seeing is the cobbling together uh, late in the game. We already mentioned it with healthcare, but this is the cobbling together of some type of cohesion because there is no strategy. There is no grand economic development strategy. There is no job creation strategy or education strategy or healthcare strategy. It's been follow the right wing ideology as Governor Walker has tried to become President Walker. And since that's failed and since he's fallen off of that, uh, they still don't have a long term strategy. So he's kind of got a foot in the right wing ideology. Um, but at the same time, he, there's nothing that's practically working. So the Foxconn is, it's not a, even that in itself, the largest economic development giveaway in the history of the state, of the country, right? That's not a strategy. That's just a huge giveaway. This, uh, this op-ed by uh, Ron Johnson and the ads by Scott Walker, that's not a strategy, right? That's just, that's one tool to try and say, okay, look, it looks like we're trying, it looks like we're doing anything. But there is no... Heck, there's not even like a six-month plan so much as like a one-year, two-year, five-year plan about how we're going to educate the population, how we're going to increase wages, and how we're going to increase quality of life, or what, how Foxconn fits into an overall strategy of improving all businesses and all the jobs in the state, because there isn't one. It's a piecemeal approach, and uh, it's driven more by ideology and, uh, and rewarding your, uh, your, your, your political uh, uh, donors than it is to actually help the, the populace. Well, I don't know. I mean, Senator Johnson does offer a solution in, in his op-ed, which you may not What's the solution? Uh, we need to open up a whole <laughs> lot of more H-2B visas to, to bring in select immigrants, not the immigrants they want to build a wall against, uh, to fill all the unfilled jobs in Wisconsin. So... There's that, right? Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of yeah. remarkable that like in Senator Johnson saying that he cites um, you know factories and different businesses, but also dairy farms. So to your point about like the right kind of immigrant, um, dairy farms I think are are going to be certainly hit by anti-immigrant policies that impact um, people who work on those farms. And that, but that's not what he's talking about. Uh, what I find fascinating. So I mentioned the last segment that we had a gubernatorial forum last night in Racine, another huge issue for Racine residents. And it was a question asked by, I think it was Trevor Young, who's very involved on um, works for vision and greater Racine was about transportation. And there were a number of good answers. And I remember, um, Malin Mitchell giving a particularly good answer to this because he tied it to work. And what I find fascinating is that our Senator isn't going to DC to say, 
hey, we need to connect people to jobs. We need federal dollars for infrastructure mm-hmm. so we can build trains right. in southeast Wisconsin throughout the state. It's no, we need to bring bring more immigrants into to our state. And, uh, you know, my HB1 visa, it's like a very complicated issue that, you know, we should we can go into for an entire segment. But there's a lot um, that we need to connect people to jobs. And, you know, to your point, Robert, earlier about how uh, Governor Walker for Foxconn spent $7 million of my tax money uh, advertising Foxconn jobs to white, fairly affluent millennials in Chicago. Instead of spending money trying to figure out how to fund buses from Racine or from Milwaukee to the jobs that are being created, uh, it's just like really, um, it's so disingenuous. And the whole argument, and I I feel you burning to say something, Robert, so I'll let you in a minute. The whole whole, um, line of reasoning from elected officials, not just in Washington, but down down into Wisconsin, um, we don't have enough jobs, is almost gaslighting, right? Because anyone who lives in Wisconsin knows that we don't have the jobs that we had in the last generation, uh, and people are having a hard time making ends meet. Mm -hmm. And I don't... Take it I away. just it's all <laughs> along what you're saying. Um, yeah. I want to make sure we brought in uh, first-term Congressman Mike Gallagher into this from the Green Bay area, who says, we have jobs. We have plenty of jobs available. We just can't find people to fill these jobs. So probably why does he want to save the Kimberly-Clark plant, by the way? Because wouldn't that help solve the problem? Because you'd have all these employees that would need jobs. It's kind of interesting. Uh, but you think about this, right? There's survey data showing that uh, a, a high percentage of millennials are underemployed, you know, even if they are employed at all, and they can't pay back their student loans with the wages they're making, right? right? You have workforce participation going down, and a lot of people saying that they can't get a full-time job or cobble together part-time jobs that right. will allow it to be full-time because of a lot of wage theft and work rules, like you have to be on call all the time, right? right. And even then, it's not a living wage, right? Uh, and you can't afford to get to it. Right. So you have all these issues around people being locked out of the workforce and not not being able to make a living wage. And you have these people who just want to generate more uh, more workers. If you think about it, it goes back to the 19th century. If you have a flood of workers, you depress wages again. So this is all about the same thing Scott Walker's agenda has been about all along, which is lowering wages. When in fact, the way to both get the economy going and create more jobs and to and to incentivize people to jump into the workforce is to pay a good wage. And we need a, to, uh, policies to raise wages, and it never gets talked about. And I think this is a real bait and switch here right. where they figure out how to say it's about skills and workers, and it's not what it's really about, which is, guess what? They love to use welders in the example. If you pay welders not $10 an hour, but $20 an hour, you will bring in all sorts of welders. It's really that simple, and people will become welders. And they'll stay with you, right? Yeah, this is this should be not labeled as a job shortage uh, or a worker shortage. It should be laid, labeled as what it is, which is it's a, a wage shortage. Uh, the folks don't want to pay the, the wages that these uh, workers actually deserve. Um, or if you want to look at it from another way, it's an education shortage because we've had the largest cuts to education in state history under Governor Walker. That's we now the, have a teacher shortage. Right. Surprise, and, surprise. Right. right? And instead of, <laughs> instead of saying, you know what, let's make sure that teachers are getting paid what they're worth, uh, which is a whole lot. They're, they're changing the definition of what it is to be a teacher. So now a superintendent can magically dub anybody who has an undergraduate degree as a teacher to fill these slots because teachers are, are leaving. So, yeah, you need to be going the other way. And this is going to be a big issue growing. There's a, a shortage of long-term care workers, workers like home care workers, as right. we have an aging population, and also people who need support to stay in their homes and live free and self-determining lives. But we're paying those folks 
you know, seven, eight dollars an hour. Right. And so that's what's driving the shortage, right? Not if you actually paid the living wage, we don't have a lot of people who want to do that kind of work. And you have, Rebecca, another issue that uh, uh, work classifications there have traditionally been held by women are the lowest paid, right? So teaching falls into that. It's very low, low paid for the education level. Things like home care fall into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the corporatization of healthcare um, really impacts, you know, home care and healthcare work and making it kind of like a race to the bottom. And right. we're seeing it all over the state, certainly here with what, you know, Citizen Action and the Nurses Union and Coalition of Community Activists are working on with St. Joseph's, but, you know, all over the state. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to mention is that if we need more folks in Wisconsin contributing to the Wisconsin economy, maybe we should make the state a more attractive place to live right. and make it possible for more Wisconsinites to work. And there's two things in particular I wanted to bring up. One is we had a Citizen Action Co-op organizer, uh, Joe Lewis, on uh, on rural organizing, uh, I think a couple weeks ago now. And we were talking about how, um, you know, the number one issue when he's on the doors uh, talking to folks in rural parts of Wisconsin is that folks are leaving, young people are leaving. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Why are they leaving? You know, if you want more workers, uh, you know, to fill these jobs, first of all, let's make them better jobs. It is a wage shortage. I completely agree with Senator Larson. Uh, but also, let's make this a better place to live. That means investing in education, investing in infrastructure, investing in our communities. The second thing I'll say right. is when so much of our state is incarcerated, that takes people out of the workforce. Right. So how about we stop right. locking people up and start giving folks opportunities uh, to contribute to our economy? Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> so I think you're saying something that is anathema to conservatives, and not just because they haven't thought of it, but because they don't believe in it. And that is, we, our democracy, needs an economic strategy. Our state does, our cities do, mm -hmm. et cetera. An economic strategy for us, for people, for opportunity, not just for what Foxconn can figure out how to extract, yeah. just for example, we, which is what amounts to economic strategy for them. And we're, we're near out of time, but let, final thought? Well, um, we, we're actually, we're out of time. <laughs> and so we're going to, Senator Larson has something he's going to say when we come back from the break. Uh, this is, you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig from Citizen National Wisconsin, joined by Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party and State Senator Chris Larson, our special guest this week. And we're going to segue into politics since we're in a political season right now. But first, we want to finish up the economic discussion we were having and on the last segment. And Senator Larson was going to talk about what he heard out in Beaver Dam about people's economic concerns about the conservative agenda and about young people leaving the areas where they were born for lack of opportunity. Right. We, were, uh, we held a listening session out in Beaver Dam on Foxconn, which is a Republican area. And uh, what was very interesting there was that... that you know, the people there didn't think they were going to see the benefit of Foxconn. And worse, they actually realized that this is going to be, it's going to push down what the standard is for businesses. Because right now, they've pretty much, Republicans have pretty much eliminated the tax liability for major corporations in our state. But now they're looking for more, they're looking for more money. And that's not a long-term strategy. It's not a way for us to, to advance. And frankly, what they realized, and what we realized by the end of it was, we have sacrificed our Wisconsin culture instead of enhancing it. And if we're not, if we're just anywhere USA, then it's going to be really hard to attract people instead of investing in the things that make Wisconsin great. Being a, a, a state that values the outdoors, that values environmentalism, that values education, right? 
Uh, Foxconn's not coming here because they're Packer fans. They're they're coming here because they want that sweet taxpayer money that Scott Walker's given out. And we need we need alternatives, which is what our uh, gubernatorial field is offering. Though I'm still very concerned they're going to take some of our tax money and buy naming rights to the new Bucks Arena. So, <laughs> but maybe uh, which that I, at which may give, put me in a quandary about whether I can go or not. Uh, but we want to segue. This this is a great segue into political season. We're officially in political season now. The nomination papers were all due, and we know we know that we have ten people on the ballot for governor. And we know who's on the ballot for the most part for state legislature. We have the State Democratic Convention in Oshkosh over this weekend. And uh, this is a time, of course, when we start to have candidates sort out. This is like early Iowa, New Hampshire in the presidential race, right? We would have these start to have these debates and forums that start to sort out the candidates. We have an unusually packed field for governor. I mean, this really is like a Kentucky Derby where all the horses are in a bunch <laughs> yeah. coming, coming around the, 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 the back stretch. They're not quite in the home stretch, right? Yeah. And so is there going to be any separation? Is there going to be, start to be a tiering of candidates or anything like that? And so I just want to get a sense from our panelists. We're very well tuned in to all of this. Uh, what, to, what do you think we should be looking for as far as the performances of these candidates? Um, and and other things we should look for as they uh, as they perine at the Democratic State Democratic Convention this weekend. Well, this will only be my second state Democratic convention, so I'll have to leave some of that uh, to Senator Larson to, to weigh in. But I will say, I think we will see um, some of the horses break away from the pack pretty soon. Um, you know, interested to hear more from Senator Larson about what he thinks will happen at convention. But I think generally what we're starting to see are candidates taking jabs at each other, uh, other folks, um, outside folks and activists taking jabs at some of the candidates. You know, we will be seeing um, later on the summer, a little bit too late, um, for comfort, but we'll be seeing campaign finance filings and we'll have an idea from those, you know, who's really raising resources and who isn't. I mean, that's going to be critical to getting their message out there in the weeks before the primary. And what kind of resources. And what kind of resources, where the money's coming from, certainly. Uh, and then, you know, I'll be interested to see with the signatures, you know, who's gotten how many signatures, because I think that's a pretty good indication of a campaign's operation to date. Um, but interested to hear more about what you think is going to happen at convention, Chris. Yeah. I mean, as of, as of the recording of this, there's only a handful who've gotten their signatures in, but by the time this airs on the radio, the convention will be, have ended. So, um, but the, for those on the podcast, they can still tune in Friday night and listen, uh, which encourage them. Cause it's going to be, it's going to be a rapid fire. If everyone's been tuned out and they can't name all 10 of the, <laughs> the candidates, right. If you can't get bingo, uh, this is a chance. And I talked to, to uh, the state party chair and she's going to have, she didn't call it this, but I think of it this way, as like a dunk tank style <laughs> uh, for all the candidates. They each get five minutes. And after those five minutes, the music's going to come up like Oscars style <laughs> and they're done and the lights will drop. And so they have five minutes to make their case. So it is, it's not ideal, but with a crowded field, you have to get creative for stuff like this. So it's a, it's a good chance to speed date, see, hear from all the candidates, if not see them online, uh, and find out a little bit about all 10, figure out what your favorites are, and start to uh, see the field winnow. For those, for those of the folks who actually are going to be there, it's, it's fun, because everybody's looking for, I think, enthusiasm, uh, and who's going to be excited. So, you know, for Rebecca, I'd say look, look, look for the, the seas of matching t-shirts, <laughs> and the, uh, the, the can cozies, and things being the handed swag, out. The right, swag, Right, exactly, That's getting a, people wait, pumped that'll up. That'll probably be a witch, con a, uh, witch politics uh, straw poll of some kind. Yes. Yeah, they will, all, they're always is. Which yep. will, will 
will become a thing, right? Figuring out whose swag is better, who has the who has the cutest swag that everyone wants. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, wh- who has what colors, whether they clash or, or match. I'm learning so much. I'm <laughs> imagining Frank Sinatra music coming up as the music to drown them out, but I'm feeling fe- feeling it will not be that. <laughs> I, I like that. I was thinking more of like this, the, the music from uh, Hunger Games, but that's probably, <laughs> that's probably better, right? <laughs> um, but I would say I think it's, it's you know, they, what's, what's really interesting is as we're now in uh, just a little over two and a half months between now and the primary is this is when it's really going to start to shake out. And I think one of the really exciting things is this uh, platform bandwagoning where one candidate's coming out with a pretty strong position on a on an issue, right? Whether it be marijuana decriminalization or ending the prohibition on marijuana or whether it be on health care. And very quickly, the other candidates see that and they're like, you know, they're not necessarily what your initial reaction might be is, well, that's a bad idea. I'm opposed to that. They're all kind of jumping and trying to get to that same position, which is very exciting for progressives. I was talking to uh, somebody who was putting on a, putting together a forum and they said, this is a lot better than years ago where you just have one candidate or two candidates and they just avoid the heck out of you, uh, much less trying to take any kind of a position right now. It's the opposite. So, uh, as much as the crowding, crowded field might be frustrating for some, I think it's, it should be exciting for progressives to try so and push me, big issues. Let me go around the circle here and ask uh, one big thing to look for, and I'll offer one thing. I want to look for big, bold agenda items that you can run against Scott Walker on, because yeah. I think the, some of the professionals want to believe we can just run as the generic Democrat against Walker's record and win. I don't believe that at all. I think you need an exciting alternative. So I'm looking for what really stands out as far as a big, bold, exciting policy agenda that would excite people and that would actually cause them to volunteer, cause them to give small donations, et cetera. So I'm going to be looking yeah. with, to eat speech with that, that in mind. Yeah. yeah, and I think somewhat similar to that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm looking for someone who has a vision for the state, um, a hopeful vision, something that we can get excited about. You know, I hate when we always compare everything to President Obama, but like that is what I want to see. I don't just want to see no to Trump, no to Walker, um, resistance. Like certainly we need to resist and we need to fight back against bad policies, but that's depressing. Like yeah. I want to see what you see when you think about the future of the state. Yeah, absolutely. And they need, they. It's, it's not just enough to oppose and repeal some of the things that Walker did. Frankly, we have a lost decade to make up for that Scott Walker was in charge. And so it's, it's, yes, we can repeal some of those things and change some of those things that have taken our state back. But you got to think about where our state would be if we had had democratic leadership, progressive leadership, listening to the public the entire time and leap ahead. Otherwise, it's going to take us so much longer to try. But just getting back to zero of where we were in 2010 um, will take us some time if we're not if we're thinking that's the benchmark. The benchmark needs to be where we would be. So thinking 10 years ahead and how we get there as quick as humanly possible. Um, and this is the time to push these Democratic candidates because they're they're all looking for that edge. They're all looking for some type of attention from uh, from the progressive base. And I would say, oh, just on that, you know, we have a lack of, you know, policy. We have, I, I like the way you put that, Chris, you know, that there's like a gap in the last 10 years of policy leadership in the state, but also political leadership um, at every level. And I'm really looking for a governor who is going to speak to the needs of Wisconsinites, not just for now, but on the national stage for 2020. I mean, I yeah. think we haven't had someone do that in a very long time. I think Bernie Sanders articulated things that people are truly feeling. You know, President Obama spoke to a lot of folks in the state, but we need someone who's going to keep 
you know, federal, national, um, you know, talking heads and candidates and media outlets accountable to what our experience is here. And I, I would love to see someone who inspires me to imagine them in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to be inspired, right, you look at, look at, look at an issue like education. We don't want to say that things were great in 2008, 2009, right. that we didn't have huge disparities in educational opportunity, right. right, in this state. They're based on race, based on rural versus suburban, right, et cetera. Right. So are you really going to do something other than just saying a line like, like uh, refund education doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. or adequately fund, I hear that. that that's nothing. I mean... One way to view it, the mayor of Pittsburgh, former mayor of Pittsburgh, one Krotenopad, it was a, a guide to how to tell whether a candidate is saying something for any office. And what he said you do is you negate what they said and see if it's anything that anyone would actually say and defend. So if you say something like free college tuition, well, there are a lot of people who would say it shouldn't be free, right? So that the candidate said something. If you say, be nice to grandma... Mm-hmm. No one says be mean to grandma. You see what I mean? So (laughs) adequately fund education. Scott Walker claims he's for that. So that means nothing. So Mm. discount all the meaningless statements, which which aren't about real change, and the ones that actually point to what Senator Larson and Rebecca were saying about a bold, exciting agenda that changes the state for the better. So we are about out of time with this segment at Battleground Wisconsin. We will be right back after this. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig from Citizen Action of Wisconsin, joined by Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party and State Senator Chris Larson, our special guest this week in Matt Brusky's absence. So we've been digging into politics, the governor's race. We talked about how the, uh, in the last segment about how the uh, Democrat convention might be a, a place where some candidates in the densely packed Democratic field for the Democrat gubernatorial nomination start to separate. We don't know. Talked about what to look for. Uh, we also have a special election that's very important that's coming up soon in the state Senate, which will pl- play a huge role in determining whether Democrats have a good shot at taking back the state Senate, which would be a huge development. And we also have an incredible knockdown drag out in the U.S. Senate Republican primary. Uh, we can start with either one. Rebecca, which one uh, you, I can give, give you a draw here, luck of the draw. What do you <laughs> want to start with? Um, why, don't we, why don't we start with the special elections? Uh, and, you know, I kind of want to do it through the frame of uh, a lot of folks are going to be looking at these elections, which the, the election is June 12th, right? Is that correct? Uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at this election uh, to see if the blue wave is continuing. And, I, you know, I want to like, caution against that. I mean, these are two very unique, difficult districts. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't read into the tea leaves too much. But, you know, these are one we've got Senate District 1 uh, up in Door County trying to win back this seat. Um, very competitive race. We have a great candidate, um, which I'll let uh um, others talk about if, if you guys have any strong feelings about the candidate. But, you know, again, to remind listeners, I think most listeners will know, we need to win back three Senate districts in order to win back the state Senate. That's correct, That's right? right? Yeah. So um, if we do win this seat in the special election, unfortunately, it's one of those seats that would have been up anyway. So we'll have to run all over again um, for November. But we'll have a, you know, it's obviously better than not to win the special to try to keep it in November, which would mean we would only need to win two more. Yeah, this is <clears throat> this is essential. This is a big one for us to try and win. We, I was up there on uh, Saturday knocking on doors, 
And the challenge isn't so much to get people to realize what's happening in the country, what's happening in the state. It's to make sure, make sure people know to vote in the middle of summer when they wouldn't normally be voting. And I think we need to remember the reason that we're having this special now instead of months ago is because Governor Walker refused to hold the special elections as he is obligated to do by law. They actually had to have the former attorney general of the United States come in to push him to do this. Sue him. Right, to, to, to force him to do the, night, the right thing after much, much uh, wrangling. So uh, Caleb Frostman is the candidate. Um, there's just two weeks, basically, two weeks and a little bit more. That is the Democratic nominee. Yeah. Who is running against someone we've talked about in previous uh, Battleground Wisconsin's. The, right. The right. very the appealing, infamous, <laughs> infamous representative, Andre Jacques. Right. But Caleb Frostman, this is his first run for, for office. He's the executive director of the Economic Development Corporation. Up there, he's a young guy, hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman. Um, people were really getting a kick out of the fact that he was a beekeeper along with everything else. Um, and he's somebody who's, who's enthusiastic, he's energetic, he's out there knocking on doors, he's out there making a difference. But if we can win this one, I think it sends that message that, look, Wisconsin is turning. And you can, have, you can look forward to a series, if nothing else, a series of a dozen tweets from Scott Walker the morning after continuing to freak out about his political impending demise. So it is a Republican district, but no more Republican than the Senate District 10, which uh, went Democratic. Um, it seems to have a strong Democratic candidate. We'll yep. see what, what, what Caleb, Mr. Frostman, is doing on the ground. And it seems like this, the Senate District 10 to have an unappealing incumbent running who has a lot of yep. liabilities. So Representative Jacques was not the choice of the establishment and won the primary anyway. Right. He's kind of this young Alec guy. Alec, I mean, the right-wing conspiracy to write legislation for this country. He brings Alec bills forward all the time. Or you could say... I'll date myself a little, like Alex Keaton uh, from Family Ties, you know, kind of like this college Republican type. What? It, it you don't was know a, totally over my head. Oh, my gosh. Michael, Michael, Michael J. Fox character who was wow. like a young Republican in a liberal family. But anyway, it was a sitcom from the... Uh, 80s and 90s. We'll right? have to talk about family ties off, yes. offline. Um, but yes, this is this is this is it's it's important to knock back this this harsh ideology of Andre Jacques and to have somebody who actually has empathy, understands the importance of public education. Uh, he worked uh, as a major as, he, as a volunteer for the Boys and Girls Club and as a big brother, and would see you know the the mother of the the little that he was working with who was working two jobs, working just as hard as he was, as his friends were, but still struggling and not able to make, uh, make ends meet. And in his mind, it's, it's, he's like, that was a, a transformative moment for him to think, well, why the heck is somebody working this hard on minimum wage, not making it? We need to be doing more as a state to try and address that and fix that. And I think he's going to bring that in his heart to the state legislature. Um, and it's up to us to help him get there. So you have that race, uh, U.S. Uh, State Senate Special Election and Senate District 1 in Green Bay, Door County, yep. Kewanee area. And then we have Assembly District 42. Uh, the Democrat running is Angros Lloyd. Um, it's just a little north of Madison. Yep. Um, she sound, I, I haven't met her. She sounds like a fantastic candidate. Um, I know there's a lot of support uh, coalescing around her. So anyone who's um, listening in, in and around Lodi and Madison, that area, if you want to take a weekend to go knock on doors and, and do your civic duty, I'm sure that she would appreciate it. Yeah, yeah that kind of rural Dane County, Columbia County kind of area. 
Yeah, I'll um, be there. I'll be there today, knocking on doors. Actually, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful area too. Yeah. yeah, and this is this is one where her her if you if if uh, folks have access to, to go online and watch her ad. I mean, she's basically she's got a humorous ad that's running on the fact that uh, the wells and the water in their area have been poisoned by industry and by legislation allowing that to happen. And uh, because she's going around with a water bottle, trying to 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 let her you know water her cows, water her crops with bottles water because the water is unusable in that area because of pollution uh, caused by Governor Walker and his policies. And uh, we should also have a, a shout out to the Wisconsin League Conservation Voters that has an excellent new ad up in the first Senate district about the poisoning of the water by, uh, by CAFOs, by concentrate animal feeding operations. Right. And Andre Jacques, uh, you know, support for basically uh, water polluting industry. And so it has literally it, it where brown water comes out of spigot in the ad. So it's up online. We're seeing you can find it online. Uh, but we should jump. We should talk about the U.S. Senate race. I don't know. I didn't think you could be to the right of Lee Vukmir. <laughs> but Kevin Nicholson is trying to run to the right of, of Vukmir. And there are right wing billionaires supporting each fighting with each other with their own money. Nice to waste the dark money that way. All to, in, a, in a desperate fight to take on Tammy Baldwin. So what can we what do you make of the state of the conservative movement Republican Party given this very nasty primary? Uh, I mean, I. Look, I think it's it is absolutely disgusting, and I hope that people are embracing this in their memory. Some of the disgusting things that they're saying, where you know Leah Vukmir is trying to um, push put Tammy Baldwin in the same field as the mastermind behind 9/11, and it just shows how they're 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 expecting their their voters to have their brains just shut off and to appeal to this this tribal anger that they've got. And uh, look, that, and Kevin Nicholson is trying to go just as bad and trying to compare any veteran who's a Democrat to having some type of a mental uh, disease and not apologizing for that. That's the Republican primary, right? As much as we're going to be here this weekend talking about the gubernatorial platforms and who's going to be stronger on health care and education, like theirs is just tribal ripping each other's eyes out and, uh, and trying to divide this state. Uh, so, you know, have at it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to our side, and I don't know how the heck that's going to attract people over to their side, but people need to, to embrazen that in their memories as who's going to be facing Tammy Baldwin right after that primary finishes up. Rebecca, it seems like what Chris just said or Larson just laid out is, is horrendous at multiple levels. Like, in other words, it stigmatizes people with mental illness in addition to... Right you know, attempting to assault anyone who disagrees with you as a veteran, like all veterans need to be right-wing Republicans, right? Uh, but then with, with Senator Vukmir, uh, the same sort of thing, right? The images of what a, of a terrorist, that a progressive Democrat is a terrorist because you disagree with her in some way, right? With, right. with Senator Vukmir, this is supposed to be some sort of seasoned stateswoman. So what do you make of, uh, uh, of the vitriol and... Uh, and, and the division over what seems to be all on the on the flying monkey right, as far as any <laughs> any reasonable person looking would would believe. I don't know what to make of it. I think like the playbook is so clear this year and how to win elections. I think voters are looking for competence. They're looking for sanity. Um, they're looking for adults. Um, particularly uh, voters are flocking towards supporting women. So for Leo Vukmir, I would think the playbook would be clear. Just be, uh, 
you know, sane, kind of like poised, um, thoughtful candidate. And you should you should have an easy time. But instead, again, like you said, it's this like sumo wrestling match between billionaires and dark money going after each other. And, you know, I guess the only thing I could say is that this seems to be like the typical Republican Wisconsin playbook that like this is what we saw in the state Supreme Court race. This is what we've seen in past elections, just like really disgusting mudslinging. And it, it's not winning anymore. Right. It yeah. didn't win in April. It's not going to win in August. Um, it's very strange. Yeah. And they both deserve to be beat. Right. This is the logical end from the, the, the what started as the dog whistle politics of Scott Walker and most recently was the bullhorn politics of Donald Trump for them to just be so extreme and to continue to go that. And frankly, I think their party needs to deserve to be, it deserves to be punished uh, badly in the uh, in this fall's election. And so that's up to us. Some of the establishment that's for Vukmir probably feels like a woman would be better. But I'll, let's close on this. This is a mean woman. We used to call her. We've had a lot of interactions with her over the years at Citizen Action, Nurse Ratchet. Oh my God. So uh, that's the kind of woman we're talking about with Senator Leah Vukmir. So that's all the time we have. So I want to thank Senator Chris Larson for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, as always, Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party and uh, Brian Woolridge, our producer. And uh, this is Robert Craig with Citizen Action Wisconsin. And so until next week, uh, thank you for joining us.